So this morning, we're going to look at uh, some things related to the new year and looking back. You know, I'm sure in your business, uh, you do these kinds of things as well. And as a church staff and elders, we do this. We look on what God did this past year and what we want to do. Uh, Next year, we consider the lessons that have been learned and all of that's good stuff. We seek to define, you know, what the goals are for for the new year. And as we reflect on this, we want to make sure that what we're doing is aligning with kingdom values, with with what Jesus, we think, would would want for us. I mean, was was our labor befitting for followers of Jesus, or are we trying to reach a certain goal and not really following the way of Jesus? For instance, I could theoretically be a jerk. There's some of you that might actually applaud at that, but um, or some of our leaders treat one another, you know, with with great disrespect, kind of behind the scenes. Okay, uh, so we could manipulate, coerce people to get a job done. All right. And, uh, and, and manage kind of with an iron fist. Now, I happen to believe that, f- at least for a church, well, actually in any organization, I don't think that's good, but particularly in a church, that rubs up against who we say we are. And I don't think that God can bless a work in any kind of spiritual sense when that kind of thing is going on in such unhealthy relationships. It's just not honoring to the Lord. So... How can God truly bless a work that, that gets, you know, kingdom results? That's really what, what we're after. I'm challenged by this notion of just spinning our wheels. You know, you, you often have, I'm sure, seen your car up on a, a lift, you know, in your mechanic's garage. And as it's up on that car rack, they can actually have the engine on and they can hit the gas, and your wheels are spinning and spinning at a breakneck speed, but you're obviously not getting anywhere, right? In the same way, I think you can have a lot of activity in a church, but not make any progress in terms of the kingdom of God. Now, we can be sure of this, that what's often passed off in terms of how we typically evaluate church, at least in America, with just strictly numerical value doesn't tell the whole picture. I mean, when you try to determine the health of the human body, you don't just look at a toe, right? I mean, you have to look at the internal organs, you look at blood pressure, you look at a lot of factors to try to determine whether a body is healthy or not. So when speaking of the church, what are some of the things that help us to get a a more accurate read on the church body. Well, for instance, you might look at the temperature of the relationships in the body, right? Are, are people maturing? Are they able to kind of resolve conflicts on their own or are they backbiting, that kind of thing? Are we relating to one another with depth and vulnerability uh, in our closest relationships within the church? Uh, is Is our ministry in the community marked by love and respect to our fellow citizens? Or uh, are we just using ministry as a vehicle to market ourselves? 
Uh, Are we making disciples? Is our community better off because we are in it? Are we being salt and light to our community? So I think these areas are necessary to look at if we want to get a more telling picture of what health is really like within the church. Now, admittedly, those aren't all easy to measure, but I think we have to have a great sensitivity and and discernment to to consider those things. The late Eugene Peterson uh, was a pastor and author who had a way of kind of uncovering things that were underneath the uh, surface, particularly when dealing with uh, spirituality and, and with the church. He wrote a book called The Jesus Way, and it certainly follows that same road as he discusses the church's, American church's fascination with consumerism and how this often contradicts the way that Jesus did ministry. So I want to read a passage from his book. I normally don't like reading a long passage, but I think this is worth it. And uh, I'll put the words up on the screen, and uh, you, can, you can read along with me, because I certainly cannot make the point better than he can. It didn't take long for some of our Christian brothers and sisters to develop consumer congregations. If we have a nation of consumers, obviously the quickest and most effective way to get them into our congregations is to identify what they want and offer it to them, satisfy their fantasies, promise them the moon, recast the gospel in consumer terms, entertainment, satisfaction, excitement, adventure, problem solving, whatever. This is the language we Americans grew up on, the language we understand. We are the world's champion consumers, so why shouldn't we have a state-of-the-art consumer churches? Given the conditions prevailing in our culture, this is the best and most effective way that has ever been devised for gathering large and prosperous congregations. Now, that doesn't mean that every large congregation is, is a consumer one, but I think you you get the point. Um, Americans lead the world in showing how to do it. There's only one thing wrong. This is not the way in which God brings us into conformity with the life of Jesus and sets us on the way of Jesus' salvation. This is not the way in which we become less and Jesus becomes more. This is not the way in which our sacrifice lives become available to others in justice and service. The cultivation of consumer spirituality is the antithesis of a sacrificial deny-yourself congregation. A consumer church is an antichrist church. It's a strong statement. We can't gather a God-fearing, God-worshiping congregation by cultivating a consumer-pleasing, commodity-oriented congregation. When we do, the wheels start falling off the wagon, and they are falling off the wagon. We can't suppress the Jesus way in order to sell the Jesus truth. The Jesus way and the Jesus truth must be congruent. Only when the Jesus way is organically joined with the Jesus truth do we get the Jesus life. The ways and means promoted and practiced in the world are a systematic attempt to substitute human sovereignty for God's rule. The world as such has no interest in following the crucified king. Not that there isn't plenty of lip service offered along the way across a spectrum ranging from presidents to pastors. But when it comes down to an actual way of life, 
Most of the language turns out to be court protocol, nothing to do with the way we actually order our affairs. It's a book I would recommend for any of us to read. And I'm sure many of us are kind of like, yeah, this, this resonates. Now, my reason for reading such a quote is not to point our finger at other churches, but to look at ourselves, to look at this church. It's, it's a great challenge to consider. And if I were to be completely honest with you, in my 30 years of pastoring, I can't say that my record is completely clean. That I think that there are, in, are instances in which I made decisions as a consumeristic pastor. But those don't produce kingdom results. Now, it may or may not have caused the, you know, the numbers to inch up, but it was not effective in making healthier disciples. Uh, like I said, these are not easy matters to, to measure, to get right every time. And as a congregation, I realize that you put a great amount of trust in me and our other leaders here at the church to get in line with the way of Jesus. And what I love is the, the camaraderie and communication that, that we have with you, my brothers and sisters, that help to you know, hold us accountable, to ask great questions. And you know, I'm not sitting up on some throne on high, you know, separated, uh, we are doing this together. And so I, I appreciate your wrestling and praying with us about these kinds of issues to make sure that we are in line with the way of Jesus. Because, you know, when we realize it, that maybe we're being fleshly, the best thing we can do is stop it immediately, right? To quit walking in the flesh and get back to more of him, less of me, less of us, Right? There's a story in the Old Testament about Josiah, who was a a young king. You can read about him in 2 Kings, and you can read about him in 2 Chronicles. I think his life is a good reminder to us as we approach the new year. Now, he was was very young. In fact, the Bible tells us he was eight years old when he began ruling. You know, that's kind of being in the right family and the next guy in succession leads. Um, Don't ask me how they worked all that out. I just suppose he had a great staff around him or something. But the fact is, he started off with a bang. I mean, he he really stood against the fleshly ways of doing things, the idol worship that were in the generations past. He got rid of the idol worship that occurred before him. He went so far as to scatter the, the smashed idols over the graves of their worshipers. He took the... Uh, the bones of the pagan, uh, pagan priests and burned them and laid that on top of their own altars. And in the midst of restoring the temple, you know, physically rebuilding it, uh, Josiah was given a book of the law of Moses that they found. And apparently this was a rare thing. Apparently there were not a lot of copies and some commentators think this may have been the actual original copy from Moses. And When Josiah read this, his heart was gripped with the reward and and punishment listed in the law for a people who obeyed God or disobeyed God. Now, this was written about Josiah, 2 Chronicles. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. 
And this also influenced his leadership. We read this in 2 Chronicles 34, 33. And Josiah took away all the abominations from the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. That's quite an endorsement of leadership. And then we read this in 2 Kings about him. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Now, that's quite an endorsement, is it not? I mean, if anybody could say, you know, who was a successful king, they would, they would point to Josiah. I mean, this guy did it right. But one thing about success, and this is in terms of us looking back at 2018, all the great things that happened, okay, is that you can accomplish some things, you can find some success, and we can easily forget who put us there. We can easily forget what got us there. We begin to think maybe more about our own strength. We think less of him, more of us. We forget that the same dependence upon God that was the forerunner to earlier success has to be the same dependence that we use now on a daily basis. The Bible tells us after all these great words were spoken about Josiah is that he found himself kind of in the middle of this conflict between Egypt and Babylon. The king or pharaoh of Egypt at the time, a guy named Neco, N-E-C-O, he was to face the Babylonians. And Pharaoh meets up with Josiah and tells Josiah that God told him that Josiah was to stay out of the way and just basically let Egypt and Babylon duke it out. But Josiah did not listen. Maybe he saw Egypt as a threat, we don't know. But we know this, that he, in his foolishness, dressed up like a regular soldier to join in the battle. We read this in 2 Chronicles 35. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to meet him. But he sent envoys to him, saying, What have we to do with each other, king of Judah? I'm not coming against you this day, but against the house of which I am at war. And God has commanded me to hurry. Cease opposing God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. And he did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, take me away, for I am badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot, carried him in his second chariot, and brought him to Jerusalem and he died and was buried in the tomb of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. I think it'd be fair to say that this last act of Josiah was an aberration. 
He was a great and successful king, but it didn't end well. Kind of reminds me of funerals I've had to do of people that have committed suicide. Even though they might have followed Christ, it's important to remind people this last act does not define the whole life of this person. It's hard to keep that in mind. He had consistently been a good king, but for some reason he did not want to listen to God's message this one time, and he paid a dear price for it. All the years of obedience did not give Josiah permission to now walk in the flesh and do his own thing. To ignore God's instruction. God let Josiah know that the battle of Megiddo was not for him. This battle is not for you to fight. But he went anyway and he was killed. I find it interesting that in neither 2 Chronicles or in 2 Kings do we find commentary that you'll often have about what was going on inside the heart of a person, you know, when they make the decision. That's a wonderful thing about the inspiration of Scripture, that God is able to kind of, you know, give us a look into what a person was thinking or what their motives were. That's not done here with Josiah. No comment about his motives. Maybe it's because Whatever our goal or motive is doesn't really matter when we're ignoring the instruction of God. I mean, how do you mean well when you ignore God? You can't then, if you ignore God, presume that God's going to bless you. No. There will always be a price to pay for walking in the flesh, which brings us back to us as a church. There's never a good payoff for walking in the flesh, either behind the scenes or on a stage or in any ministry. I mean, no matter what CCC has accomplished this past year, we can't take pride in the accomplishments. Uh, We can't drift by forgetting to humble ourselves before a holy God to seek his guidance and his strength. We can't fight fights that God has not called us to fight. And if there's anything we're familiar with, it's fights within Christianity. We don't take our own census, kind of like David. Consider ourselves then as having arrived. Look at us. Pat ourselves on the back. And so I would say this to every ministry leader, every elder, every staff person, our calling card, every life group, our calling card is humility and prayer. That should mark us as a people. More of him, less of us. Don't expect God to bless your personal agenda. If God reveals something to you about a relationship to mend, about someone that you need to forgive, about a sacrifice you need to make, then obey immediately. Have your ear to the track to what the Spirit of God is saying. And then as as we reflect upon the goodness of God, let us not think for a second that we somehow deserve it because, you know, we're in the right group, we're in the right, right tribe, we're in the right denomination. Or I followed these steps and look what God did for me. Or we live in the right country. Or I have the right background, whatever. 
God blesses us regardless of these things. God blesses us because he's a God of grace and none of us deserve it. I was speaking uh, this week with some friends and talking about a one particular ministry and a guy who was a real schmuck and uh, was cheating on his wife and the, the church was kind of growing. You're thinking, you know, how can God use you? you know, and it's easy to point fingers and say, you know, how could that happen? But then I have to remind myself, no, wait, 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 wait a minute, short. You need to, you know, you need to be reminded, I'm using you and you don't deserve it. I mean, how, how is it that God can use a guy like me who can be so arrogant, who, who can be so irritable, who can be so selfish, and those are just my good days, all right? <laughs> but seriously, I mean, we look at what goes through our hearts, the things we think, it's like, how does God use us? Any of us? Are any of us deserving? No. No. So I thank God for his goodness and grace extended to us that he accomplishes anything through his people because it's all him. It's truly his grace. I think of the lives that have been changed in our church this past year. I think of people coming under the lordship of Christ who've begun to seriously consider the call of being a disciple of Jesus. I rejoice in that. And I, I hear stories about this Constantly, whether it's with finances or in relationships or, you know, a, a husband and father taking seriously their role in the family or, or a mother or a wife or maybe it's somebody that's leading a ministry and they decide to trust the way of the Lord, to trust him with their obedience. And to me, these are near the top of the list and the victories we're celebrating. Because that's really what we're about, to come under the lordship of Christ and to, to live obediently to him. And I see some of you who go through incredibly difficult circumstances and you continue to honor and serve him. And it just blows my mind. I think, I, I, I don't know how I'd be if I went through that. God has given many of you special grace to which I'm extremely grateful um, and I've had this happen more than once. I, I think of a couple this year that were living together before they were married. And we just had a conversation about it. And they were challenged to consider before the Lord what was going on and to consider the scriptures and consider the Lordship of Christ. And then they willingly chose to live apart. Not because they were shamed or forced to, but because they cho chose to value being a follower of Christ over and above any other need or convenience. Taking the lordship of Christ seriously. That's a win. And hundreds of those go on. I think of other ways in which we can thank God. Two trips that were taken to Guatemala this year to help our Bethlehem Care Point you know that this is a partnership, a long-term relationship that we've committed to uh, with our Guatemalan brothers and sisters to help the children there and the families. Last year, you know that during our Advent conspiracy, we raised a huge chunk of change 
to build a new kitchen. And I haven't showed you the pictures of before, but it was cinder blocks and a smoke-filled shack. That was their kitchen. And now you can see what's taking place, and they are building a new kitchen. It's taken a long time. One thing about ministry overseas, it takes a lot longer than on our timetable, but I wanted to show you the fruit. This looks like the Taj Mahal compared to what they had before. And this is a result of God's generosity being worked out through you. The furnishings, the appliances will be donated by another church that is also sponsoring Bethlehem. So we're grateful for that. I also look at this past year and our missionaries that have come through to be with us this year. The Galtneys, Greg West, the Elliots, McVickers, Stan Wallace, Jason and Nikki Quartz, Jeremy Hahn. These are all on our missionary team and have been with us in 2018. They have reported on what's going on in England, in the Middle East, in West Africa, in the inner city of Springfield, and campuses around the U.S. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like we're operating like the church at Antioch that sent out Paul and Barnabas. We are a partnering or sending church. We are interested in seeing the gospel extended beyond our reach. And I thank God for how he's worked in your hearts, in your generosity, to make that happen. One other thing, some, some other things that I'm grateful for, is that we met with Camp Barnabas this year, and a new Bible study has started here at the church, run by Micah Gray, one of our own, that is for those with special needs. Um, that's just such a cool thing. Barnabas has also approached us about doing a camp right here on our grounds. I think that's something in 2019 that we will see happen. They will bring all the staff needed to run the camp. Uh, the same thing is done with Camp Canacuck, the famous camp down in Branson. They run a week of camp here on our grounds. And we saw a handful of children make decisions for Christ through that ministry. We have our own VBS that was conducted in June and again saw our children's ministry shine. And this reminds me of the wonderful job that Laura Key is doing and overseeing our children's ministry. And anytime uh, you see Laura, be sure to thank her for all her tremendous work. And I just have to say, all of our staff has done a tremendous job this year. I'm just so proud of them. I can't think of any year where I've had greater output, better camaraderie, more unity with a staff than what we've had this year. Just so, so pleased. I'm also very thankful for our life groups this year in 2018 under the leadership of Katie Holt, who helps to train our leaders to manage the groups to reach their optimal uh, potential. I got a call this week from Fairbanks, uh, the ministry in the inner city of Springfield. They said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, one of your life, life groups called us, and they're going to come and regularly volunteer for us in a particular ministry. And I just love hearing that of our life groups taking the ministry outside the, the walls of a home or the walls of this church and serving others. That's, that's what it's all about. Uh, I love that this year we started Kingdom Come, the ministry that Jill, our worship leader, started in leading us in Christ-honoring worship. 
the first Wednesday of, of every month. That's been wonderful. Again, our 24-hour concert of prayer in hopes of just kind of being an impetus to get us all to pray more regularly for the ministry of CCC. Um, another thing I think about, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Mandy Spiegel, who worked as a volunteer coordinator in placing people who wanted to serve or ministries that needed service, putting those things together and placing people according to their passion and, and giftedness. Many did a great job for us on that. Our women's and men's ministry saw some really cool projects and ministry endeavors this year, and I appreciate leadership of Janet and Tyler in those respective ministries. I'm grateful for the opportunities that CCC has gotten in this community with racial reconciliation. We've had some unbelievable opportunities in different venues to have a voice of the difference that the gospel can make for racial reconciliation. Uh, we've seen this in an opportunity to speak at, on the Drury campus to a number of African-American leaders, to our ministry with uh, Steve Williams and uh, the Unity Project of, of Springfield uh, and, and other facets of racial reconciliation. It's been really cool to see what God is doing there and, and continues to do. Um, and the relationship with pastors as well. We started last year a pastor kind of accountability encouragement group. Excited because this year we're going to have some people of different ethnicity there with us now, uh, which I'm really, uh, really grateful for. We basically structure it so that each month one pastor takes the floor, talks about a personal issue or problem or ministry issue, and the rest of the pastors get to chime in and ask the tough questions, uh, to give encouragement, whatever is needed. It's been one of the richest experiences I've ever had as a pastor to have that level of, uh, of vulnerability and, and encouragement. A couple weeks ago, we actually went away for an overnight and spent several hours just pouring out our hearts to one another. That was just very, very rich. I'm grateful for God putting that together. I, I can't mention every single ministry that's gone on here. I mean, as you look back upon the year, I'm sure if I were to ask each of you, what do you appreciate about what God has done? It might be a Bible study or a, or a life group or maybe a conversation you had with somebody from the church or maybe it was some way that somebody in the church communicated love to you. There's a thousand different ways in which ministry goes on and it's not just through a program, but it's through meaningful relationships. And so I'm so grateful for all of that. I want to tell you to continue in, uh, in those good things. As for our Advent conspiracy this year, uh, we had a big challenge. Uh, we were asking you to give $16,000 in just about a month to fund all four Job for Life classes at the Fairbanks in 2019. Yeah, they want to run four classes. Each of them run about $4,000. And it's a way to train people who don't have a job and to give them the soft skills so that they can go out and interview, get a job. Their ratio of success is about 9 out of 10 of these people can obtain a job and keep it for at least a year. That is a very high success rate. Really excited about that. As of this morning, okay, God has provided 
$16,675 for, yeah. That's a, a testimony to a very generous God working through your hearts to see the kingdom of God expanded. And to see the kingdom of God expanded, I think that's our theme for 2019. I'm not going to go through every single goal we have, but I think just in broad strokes, we want to see our major ministries continue to be strengthened, our life groups, our children's ministry, training other people uh, to use their gifts, all right? We want to continue to take seriously the, the call of discipleship and sacrifice as a church. We don't want to coddle one another. We want to challenge one another to be faithful followers of Christ. We're also going to look, because of the numerical growth that we've experienced this year, we're going to look at, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but we're going to look seriously at adding a third service in 2019. So we look at all of these things, and we're thankful that God has given us such opportunities. But we have to continue to be dependent upon Christ to equip and empower people in their God-given gifts to advance the kingdom of Christ. That is always going to be our moniker. That's not going to change. And I'm grateful to be on this trek to do this with you. Let's pray.